Can I pray for you? Father, I want to thank you for Peter. I want to thank you for his heart open to you and filled with your love. I pray you would fill him with your Holy Spirit as he speaks to us today, that it would flow through him and out to us. And I pray that our hearts, our minds and our spirits would be open to receive your word, your love and your power today. In Jesus' name, amen. We are living in a very special time, I believe. The responsibility of the church, as I see it, though I come from not, not from this country, is greater than ever to raise up the moral standard in the society and the and, and be a sort of hub of love from God for any person in this society that comes into crisis. The word I share is from a church in crisis. It's written in the beginning of the second century by the Apostle John, who was on that day already an old man, But he was in the center of a group of leaders in the place that we now call Turkey, together with some of what what we now call the church fathers. And those people were persecuted by the Roman Empire. And he writes a letter to encourage the Christians. So the question is today that when we've faced crisis, economical um, crisis, social crisis, violence, poverty, loneliness, the increase of mental disorders, many things happening in this, uh, this world right now, what can we learn from the scripture and what can empower us to be victorious Christians today. Like one of you prayed this morning, we have not given a spirit to fear again, but we have gotten a spirit of power and, and faith and, and from God. How does God do that? Well, first read the scripture. We read it in the first letter of John. Verse 12 to 14 and 1 John 4 to 18.
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, I have been questioning God on his love. When I was a young man, I was a student. I did question God on a lot of things. I was a medical student and I saw so much suffering and 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 and, and, and people going down the drain in many ways and I was really wondering where is God's love. And my heart rebelled at that seeing all those things that I that I witnessed. So I was I was involved in student politics and with all kinds of things that you, you don't want to share to people. But my search was, was deep and intense. And I was looking for an answer. And also this question was in me, why? Why do we actually exist? Why am I here? Why? What is the reason? What is the, f the, the call? What is the, the meaning, the, 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 the significance in my life, where do I have to go? That was the, the big, all demanding question in my heart. You know, one day I was um, in a monastery in the south of, uh, of Holland. I was a confused young man. And I met this priest who was living there part of his life. And he was a handicapped man. And he was not so religious because he took care of the goats and the, the, he was doing what, what monks do, you know. But he had this simple inner peace in his heart. And because my, at that moment, intellectual brain had burned up, sometimes God has to wait till you're burned up, I was feeling and sensing what he had. So I, I got very curious. And I really wanted to know, what do you have? How do I get what you have? So I thought to myself, what shall I do? Shall I go and, and become a monk or what? <laughs> but I am not Catholic at all. Actually, I've been, I, just, I just did neglect church at all in those days. Anyway, so I was walking down the, the, around this uh, little uh, mon uh, monastery and I said, now God, if you really exist, I want to know who are you? Who are you? Because I realized if, if God exists, it is of the utmost importance for me that I know who is he? 
I sensed that all my questions would have found an answer if I knew who he was. Around a month later, I was um, in, my, uh, in my bedroom and I woke up at three o'clock and in the middle of the night, in the darkness, I had a supernatural encounter with Christ. The Holy Spirit came in my room and opened my eyes and I saw a vision of Jesus on the cross. And I still remember that moment that just waking up in a fearful dream, desperate, feeling like one ton of guilt was on my shoulder and darkness was on my heart. I just was able to, to look up to the cross that I saw in the room. And when my eyes fixed on the eyes of Christ, of Jesus, I saw his immense love, but also his pain. I saw what he went through in, this, in the eyes he had. He looked at me, you know. And we, f we fixed. And then, I don't know how, how, how it worked, but because I never expected that. But somehow or another, Suddenly, this load weight lifted from my shoulders, Amen. and I felt free. I fell asleep. Woke up as another man with another question: Where can I find about this man? I have to read about him. I have to find. So I was searching for a Bible because I wanted the answers. Who is this man? Why did he do it? Then I stood in awe of all he had written about himself in the book, the Bible. Then I understood that God had come in the flesh as a man for only one reason, to die for my sins. And for your sins. So what's your significance in life? What's the reason why you're here? Why doesn't God just pick it up and bring us in his house? That's a good question also. So not all of my questions were answered. But my main question was answered. Who are you? Who are you, God? <clears throat> you know, I am a professional. I'm working as a doctor now almost 40 years as a GP. But that did not happen just by, by death. When we read about the Apostle John, how he encourages the church and saying, don't have fear because the perfect love of God drives off out fear. I know that I needed that empowerment to be able to live my life, also my professional life. I started working in a very poor area of the city. 
I became a member of a small Pentecostal church in that area. I loved the Lord. I felt blessed in my new faith. I was a happy, like you, happy Christian. I had not much questions. I just was filled every meeting with the words of the God and grew spiritually. But in my profession, in my professional life, hey, 80% of the Christians have their ministry in the marketplace. Eh? Some of them are leaders, in the, but most of them are people in the marketplace. So my professional life was really hard. Man, I can tell you that. I think my practice was the last stable from the market in the city center. People went there buying fish and groceries and all kinds of stuff, and then they thought, oh, well, let's also go to the doctor. So they came to my practice and they were sitting down in, the, in this big uh, room of 25 of them, waiting to see me, <sighs> you know. Not an easy f task at all. <coughs> God, how can I live a victorious life? I know you. I know your heart, you've saved me from my sins. I saw the cross. Can you imagine that that is the start of your journey with God, to see the cross, to see the Savior? And still, you know, I, I deal with defeat in my heart and in my spiritual life and struggle to hold on because the pressure was so big. When you work in a poor area, you face a lot of trouble. You become like a, a person of the world, if you want it or not. You meet criminals in your, in your practice that come with weapons in their back. You meet uh, many addicted people in your practice, friendly, many immigrants you have in your, in, your, in your practice. All those kind of people were my patients. I must say that after some years, most of them became my friends. But it took a heartbreaking time to, for me to, to open my heart and to love them like I felt loved by God. I realized that loving my, the people that I serve in practical life was the answer for my question, why do I live for? What makes my life significant? That was the beginning of a, of a long journey with God. <coughs> you know, I have, a, some, I have some, some idea about God, what God is going to do <coughs> here in this church. Can I just share it? I think that God is, has opened a well of his glory on this place. It is like a, a well that springs up and flows like a river to all the people that are coming in this place or in your hometown place. I really believe that. I sense it in my heart. 
But I learned something from other revivals. Because I have been in many places where there was revival. I won't tell you all my history, but that's a fact. And God showed me in those days and also here that the river of life keeps flowing as long you bring empty bottles in the church. The moment you stop bringing in the empty vessels, the flow will stop. Because there comes a time you are all blessed. Amen. You are all filled up. You are all left. You can go. If you only one encounter with the power of the Holy Ghost, you can go on for a month, right? But God is saying there's a well, it's open, but you have to bring the empty bottles. And that exactly, my people, was my calling. That's why I'm here. Why am I here? Where am I, why am I invited at, at all here, you know? Some unknown guy, some GP from Holland, nobody knows about him. So what is my message that can help you to become a victorious church and Christian? That's the question. I have to deliver that message, and then I do a good job. If I fail saying that, it's all religion. Amen? We're not interested in that. So I want to help you, to learn you, how to help people that are drawn to the cross. And I have stories to tell from the time that I work as a, for 40 years now. <coughs> Most of the things that I preach on, well actually I'm not a preacher, I'm more a storyteller. But most of the stories I tell, I also tell to all my patients already for 40 years. I never changed. The stories never changed. The miracles never changed. I've seen the salvation of many of my patients. Now you can say, well, this is not England. Of course, if I was in England, I would never have been able to do that. The fact is that I was a practitioner in a very poor area. <coughs> you know, my friends were the prostitutes. And I worked with the, the, the addicts. I had a rehab center above my practice. And I had all not actually very regular GP life, you know. So I learned a lot of my lessons from all those years. One of the first questions I asked, how do I find words to help other people to come to Christ? What words do you need? What is the timing? Because I realize there's a time of, of, of sowing seed and sharing, and there's also a time of Harvesting. And I didn't know. I used to be, um, when I was 10 years younger, also how much younger? Four years younger, I used to think, how do you do the work of an evangelist? You know? And I was kicking people into the, into the heavens, sort of, pushing them to the cross, pulling them with their hands to the cross, you know. Quite rough and not at all sensible for their feelings. That was me in the years before that. 
But I realized being a doctor, you don't do that. Because then you have a gentleman's heart, right? You're, you must respect. There are rules that you have to use. Well, I must tell you that I came to a point that I didn't know. I had no idea how to do it. And the problem with God was he did, he did not mind <laughs> that I didn't know. So he kept me in the I don't know modus for a long time. More than you can ever think of for years. I don't know. Well, this is a nice lesson for you. Eh? It's the best lesson I can give. Because I realize I cannot do it in my own strength, in my own knowledge, in my own. I need God to open my mouth and to open, show me how to do it. But I was praying, and I was hungry that God would open my heart for the first person in my life that would ask me, how can I be saved? It took a long time, I think two years, that I still was praying, not knowing how to, feeling very incapable as a Christian. And then one day, God did a miracle. The first time that happened was when one of my patients came to me in sorrow because her fiancé was in a coma, was hit by a car, was in the hospital. I didn't know him. And she said he's already for two weeks in a coma. They have, they have all bad reports about him. And she was crying. And how can I comfort her? I still remember when giving her the handshake when she left my room. I said to her, have faith. So my great evangelistic effort only produced two words after two years of praying. Have faith. Two weeks later, she came back. She said, you know something, Dr. Rice? Tell me more about that faith. Because she walked out of the room and, and went with my, her, my words in her ear. And then she met a nurse in that hospital. And the nurse said to her, have faith. And then the man woke up from his coma and restored. And then she came to me and she asked me, tell me more about that faith. And that was the time to bring her to Christ. And she received salvation in that hour, in that moment, before she left my room. And that was the beginning of a long road of Sowing and reaping. It was an amazing journey for me. Amazing journey. 
The next one that I met was a, in this in this context was one of my patients. She was a victim of sexual abuse and had gone through psychosis and depression. Was in the psychiatric ward many times. Used a, a long list of psychopharmaca. She came to me. And I realized she was in such a bad mental condition that she needed to go back in, in turn in the psychiatric ward. The problem is if you start praying, and you keep praying, God steps into your situation without you realizing it, that he will do it unexpectedly. Therefore, it's very dangerous to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You may ask yourself, do I really want that? Because at that moment, he said to me, how do you know he speaks? Well, if you know him, you know he speaks. You have no doubt he speaks in your spirit. He said to me, now you pray. Well, 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 Dr. Peter, is that something that you are legal? Is it legal to do? You know, he's not here, but in my country it was. It is still. In Africa, it is also very common. Wherever I go, it's common. Anyway, I said to her, listen, is it okay if I pray for you? I didn't even want to touch her, you know. She was very... At, at, at least the desk between her and me, you know. So I still am a professional. She said, that's okay. So we prayed. And when I say, Jesus, immediately he was there. And came to her. It was like a strong experience of God's presence. Just like that. And you know something? You get to see salvation in the eyes of people. Like you see desperateness and fear in the eyes. The eyes are the mirror of the soul, says the Lord. And I saw death in her eyes and a and, and, and deep black hole that was she. She was there. That was where she was as a man, as a human. Terrible. Like in a being in a cave, being encaved by her experiences in her life. Completely locked up. But Jesus' love made it possible for her to open up. And then I looked into eyes and I saw light from the eyes. Then I knew that Jesus had come into the loneliest place of her heart. Which he does also today in your life. Why are you here? Why? 
Why did God bring you today in this place? Are you sitting on that place? Now when she went home, she moved to another city. I didn't see her for a long time. Ten years later, I was speaking in a Bible school in a, in a, in close to a church. And to my surprise, this woman came to me. She was there. And she told me, after our small encounter that morning, she met somebody else who gave her a Bible. And then it was ten years later that I saw her again. And now she was a Christian with, walking with God. Her troubles were not over, actually, because she still had trouble with the father of her children. And socially, there were still hang-ups, you know. But as, as a person, she was now walking with God. There was a second one. So I learned from these moments that it's okay if you don't know. It's okay if you have no idea how to communicate Jesus. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Just accept that you don't know. Just be there and listen. And be with people. Be their friend. Open your heart. I once asked uh, a group of students in a, in, a, in a seminary this question. What organ of our body is the most important to, to evangelize? Well, of course, everybody said, your mouth. Maybe some said, your hands, because you have to lay your hands on the sick. They gave all kinds of answers. They forgot that our hearing, our ears are actually the most important. I think that what brings people to Jesus is our listening to their, to their heart. It's so good to have open ears for the Holy Ghost. But it's even better to have open ears for your fellow man. We love to sing, right? We love to worship. I was in so many wonderful meetings where the presence of God was and worship was there and everything that people enjoy in Christ was there. And you know what God spoke to me? He says, well, actually, Peter, I would love to hear this worship from the, from the women that work in the red light, red light district right now. Jesus' attention goes much further than the meetings. After some years, there were so many of those that God said, now you have to open your house. I still remember the moment he said it. Because if he says something, you remember the moment, right? Yes. It's, you will never forget that. 
I was doing, I was swimming in the swimming pool. Now that is the most unreligious thing you can do, right? Well, anyway, this this weekend I was playing table tennis, and it really uh, helped me to be fit for the meetings. Thank you, uh, Ron. He had a surprise for me this uh, this week. But I remember still that God said, now you have to open your house. Now, listen, my house, my private spot, where my little children are growing up, and it's nice and cozy, and how can you imagine your house being filled with people looking for God? Especially in my situation, because I'm also their doctor. How can you do that? That's the most unprofessional thing you can ever imagine. It's already uh, 38 years ago. Long time. I survived that, by the way. I had no experience, no training, nothing. So if you say to me, I have no training, even if I lead somebody to Jesus, I have no words, just lead them to him, that's okay. God knows what he's doing. You don't have to say the whole sinner's prayer because you just say, Jesus, here he is. God will do the rest. I'm sure he does. But anyway, I had no training. I didn't know how to do a Bible study. I think most of you knew more from the Bible than I did at that moment. Oh, my goodness. I still remember the sweat on my forehead. And this little trembling in my uh, fingers when I opened the doors for my patients to come in and to sit around the, uh, the open the fire, not knowing how to do it. But I learned something about gifts and talents because everyone has a talent, right? You know, one of the best Talents in the church, I think, is cooking. Because everybody likes to be in a place where they can eat good, right? I hear some amen, yeah? (laughs) I always was looking for places that could cook well so that I could put a cake on the table, yeah? Because I am not a cooker. But so I did that. Anyway, they came. Every month they came. It became became quite crowded, actually. And it learned me something about this beautiful word, what they call church planting. And that's also for you, because you are a, a group of churches, and you may visualize what God wants to do in the coming years. When revival comes, how does it work? What are the signs of revival? How how does it work when the kingdom of God spreads? I think the houses are very important. Because in my house, the king came. When the people came into the door of my house, and they were still in in the hallway, you know, they started crying because of the presence of God's Holy Ghost. And when they came in the sitting room, they were already flabbergasted by the Holy Spirit. 
And then I was stumbling with words doing my first so-and-so Bible teaching. I had one strong point, by the way. I was a good guitar player. I must admit. So my music saved me. Hallelujah. <laughs> because no words, but I had songs. Amen. And I knew how to love people. That was one thing. When I started praying for people, I didn't know either. No plans, no training, nothing. I just hold them hands and let God find me a way how to pray. I learned something about normal Christian life. It is full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And He is the one who is leading. He is one that gives you words. I'll give you one testimony just to help you, to encourage you to do the impossible in communication. Would you like to hear that? A scary story, though. You never know what happens tomorrow. I was uh, taking care of a, of, a, of a nice patient of mine. He had lung cancer. He was dying, actually. He didn't know God. And I was standing one day at his bedside, checking the morphine and all the medicine he had, just doing my work. How are you, sir? You've just been in the hospital, came back from the hospital, now at home. He was very, very ill. His wife was standing on the side. Suddenly, for me, unexpectedly, spoke. God spoke. Now, that's also dangerous. Usually when he speaks in crisis, the big thing for me is to obey him. He said bluntly to me, now you have to speak. Now you have to speak. And I have learned through all ups and downs that there is windows of opportunity that God gives in communicating his love but if you miss that chance, it goes, and you cannot do it again. And then you feel awful after that missing. So I realized in that short moment, now I'm in trouble. If I do not speak, I had no idea. I was still in the, I don't know motives, you know. If I do not speak, I am in trouble because God spoke to me, speak. Sometimes I have the idea that God is as close to a sinner as the saint that is close to the sinner. Because you are the instrument to reach that sinner, right? But if he has not you, who has he? 
There is that person. So I was wrestling in my heart and myself, battling with, and I'm a respected doctor, how can you do that? Five, oops. So I started picking. I said, Mr., I don't remember his name, I want to tell you a story. Well, that was a good beginning, right? And then suddenly I saw what I had to say. Just like that. Well, because he told me that when he was in the hospital the week before, he was laying in a room together with another patient, and they got to get a sort of friendship with each other. And then this friend of him, he died. And he came to house and told me the story that he was such a help that for, for this man that he even didn't know. And then I said, did you know what you told me about the man that helped you when you were, that you helped when he was dying? I will, I'm going to tell you about somebody that will be with you when you die. And I told him about Jesus. That Jesus will not be there only till he closes his eyes, but also be there if he wakes up on the other side. Well, actually, I prayed a silent prayer. God, let the whole family go away so I have a, a private moment of conversation with my patient. But instead of doing that, 10 other people came in. <laughs> so I had to do this while 10 others at least were listening to what I said. They were all standing around in the, in the bed. You know, and then he, re, he accepted Jesus. Unbelievable. I looked around and everybody was crying, you know. Everyone. All those ten people were crying. God was touching not only this man, but the whole family. This is wonder. This is a miracle of salvation, not only of one, but of many. I want really to encourage you to be the best man for your friend. To find the Lord as his, his spouse, his husband. Be the best man. Be the best friend for him or her. When your, your neighbor or your colleague or one of your children find Jesus, be the best man. Be there for them. Don't try to push, but stay in the I do not know mode, like I did. Do you hear me? Do you think you can... Do I, do I sow a seed here, yes or no? Yes. Yeah? Oh. What about your house? Why should God build and buy premises for millions of, 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 of pounds if Christians have thousands of houses where they can gather? Huh? Amen? You know, the first church, they came together, 
They were listening to the teaching of the apostles. They were breaking bread, and that was it. When a move of God goes to society, you don't have time to build, build houses and places. It goes too fast. And that's good. So your leaders don't worry about the building. I want to end with uh, the same thing about little children. Because in this uh, letter, John speaks about little children. Little children are the big treasure for the church. A church that is healthy and wants to grow needs the youngest generation, right? And I found that in all that I have done in mission, the focus is very often on the children. I remember one day I was uh, speaking to a crowd in, in a woody area in the outside in Mexico. And there was a lot of people from the local, um, what is it, uh, Indian tribe there listening to my words. We had a, a, a music group from a local church. They were playing the trumpet very loud. It blew my ears. But anyway, this was their, their culture. And I had to speak to the crowd. And then one of my team members came to me and he said, she said, hey, the Lord says you have to speak to the children. Now, there were a lot of children there. Uh, there was the, the, all the grown-ups were standing and there were... Now, 100 children at the front. And having been a Sunday teacher once in my life, so I thought, well, I'll just give a Sunday teaching this morning. I started sharing a Bible story about one of the heroes in the Bible. That's the most easy way of evangelism, isn't it? And then I invited the little children to come. To receive from God. And they all came. <laughs> so they received salvation and blessing and healing. Whatever. And then the grown-ups were still spectators, you know. I said, now you come also. And they all came. Hundreds, two hundred or so. And they received Christ. Because the children had prepared the way was a wonderful moment. I had not the wisdom to see that. But God gave me the wisdom. Once I was in, the, in, a, in a township in South Africa, a black township where actually as a white man you don't come. And we had three nights of, of, of meetings there in a, in a local build of very raw material church. So the first night I was there, there, two people showed up. There was a platform. I said, well, I'd better sit on the platform. 
I just got into a conversation mode with the two people. That was nice, and I prayed for them, and that was the meeting. Next evening, I thought, well, it's always a, st a small start, you know, so let's see what happens to The next evening, five people were there. <laughs> oh, man, now I was really happy. I got still in my conversation mode. I shared the word. I prayed for them. I got the thing. I don't know. I said, God, we have to do something. Eh? So now, you know, we're going to make flyers. At least we can do something more, right? So we made flyers. But how do you get the flyers to the people? I mean, you have four, 500 flyers. I'm not the white man that goes around in the black community uh, giving out flyers. How do you do it? I don't know. So the next, so we gave a little look, pile of flyers. We came to the, on the third evening. And was a bit on time. I think, who's coming? And then I saw some kids playing before that building on the on the street, Well Street. I thought, well, you want to help me? Can you hand over these flyers to all your papas and mamas and your neighbors and your uncles? And so they grabbed the flyers, and ten of them ran ran away. All my flyers were now in process. You know, and then the meeting began one hour later. And then they came. All children were there. <laughs> <laughs> I think finally 20 grown-ups were standing. They couldn't sit. They were standing at the back. But it was filled with little children. Fantastic. The best audience I ever had. Like today, huh? <laughs> yeah, you are really a little child <laughs> in these. <yeah. laughs> so I have to close my message, of course. But um, I found that um, if you can win a child to, for Jesus, you win somebody that has, has a lifetime before him of being fruitful for him. That's why children are so important. Healing also is much easier in little children. So much easier. I must stop my telling, otherwise we're too late. But I just want to go into a time of ministry, if it's okay, do we have some time for that? Yeah. I sense also, like my brother said, that there's a healing healing anointing here this morning. I believe that, the, that God is healing somebody with a thyroid problem. And it's interesting because I'm a Dutch person that sometimes my words of knowledge are in Dutch and he shifts to English. And he spoke about joints. So let it be those two. That 
And then what my brother said, the, the, uh, the, the two words of knowledge you have. Words of knowledge are li like a diagnostic tool in the church. God just shares what issues he sees that he loves to heal. But our response is also important. I think there is an invitation this morning to come. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will pull all <coughs> humans to me. When he was lifted up, it was the invitation from God to come. So God tomorrow says, come. Come with all your burdens, your things that you wrestle with, your feelings of despair. Come, come to me. That's what he says. Come to Jesus this morning. Come to him with your sickness, your, your weariness, your emptiness. <coughs> come to, the, to Jesus. He is here. He is alive. There's a well here. A well that was opened when he was resurrected from the dead. So come to him. Come to him. And I have seen the last weekend praying with uh, different people that it's like you said in the beginning, it's like a pie with very different ministries flowing at the same time. Healings and prophetic words and things. Let's do that. Let's just start some worship softly and open the, uh, the, the place here to come. And especially if you are that one that heard these words of knowledge, please come. Okay? So if you are sick in your body, please come and stand here in the line. Hallelujah. Let's do that. If you are sick, come and stand here. We will do different invitations for different things. So please we'll pray first for the sick, okay? And we do not have to pray for a long time because it's God that does do the work. But I'll anoint you also with oil.